everyone. Welcome back to the Minute Women Podcast. My name is Grace. And I'm Linnea. And it is a still a very rainy day. We're filming twice in one day. but uh, It is very rainy. It's kind of gross outside. I'd be sad seeing as Nova Scotia is on isolation right now. Not isolation. We're on lockdown. It's more intense. I would be sad if it was like super nice and sunny and everybody could go hang out together and do stuff. Like it's kind of... It fits more with my mood that it's rainy and gloomy. It's funny. The minute that we're in lockdown, I'm like, oh, no, I can't go outside. Oops. Yeah. Like, Strang <laughs> is just like, make sure you get outside. You can use the parks in your municipality and, like, get some good, like, exercise. And I was like, oh, yeah. I couldn't possibly, me, <laughs> go outside during a pandemic. No. No, that would be I terrible. Stay, I must stay in my pillow fort on my bed. I am still in my little pillow fort in my bed. That's excellent. But this week, we are discussing a Heritage Minute and an event actually that's been pretty severely impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. Are we now? We are going to be discussing the Stratford Festival, which has had several names, but Stratford Shakespearean Festival, Stratford Music Festival, Stratford Just Festival. Yeah, so like so like the theater festivals and such in, in Stratford, Ontario. Yes. And so yeah. the heritage minute for it is <laughs> I like it. It's a it's a because it's just theater, so I feel like that plays really well the to theater. television. The, the theater. theater. And it's them rehearsing the first play, which is true. There's, I will say this. They get a lot of niche details very correct in the okay. Heritage Minute. So it, it so, was rainy and drippy and leaky? It, it was a very uh, drafty theater and leaky theater, okay. which you see in the Heritage okay. Minute. Uh, they have like pails, water pails collecting drips and drops from the ceiling. The yeah. first play they did was Richard III. And a very subtle thing that they don't really bring out, but is really cool. So the guy who's rehearsing, he's rehearsing Richard III's monologue. And they're like, Alec, dear. Alec is Alec Guinness. Obi-Wan Kenobi. No. Yeah, he was like the first leading man of the Stratford Festival. And they subtly mention it in the Heritage Minute. But they don't like say anything other than Alec. (laughs) That's so cool. I know. It's like, why wouldn't you talk about that more? Why are we talking about the trains so much? (laughs) Okay. If we can make an entire Heritage Minute about how Superman was kind of created by a Canadian, we could at least comment on the fact that we have (laughs) Obi-Wan. I know. Mind you, on Justin McElroy's infamous list, the hit list, in my opinion, he has Superman as number five. That's garbage. (laughs) go listen to our most recent episode of have you got a minute if you want to learn more about terrible rankings of heritage minutes just the worst just the worst (laughs) but yeah so today we're gonna do the stratford festival and we're going to also talk about tom patterson so he's the guy in the heritage minute who's like kind of bald and sort of looks dorky (laughs) oh he's like we have to wait till the trains go by yeah And so he's the one who comes up with the idea of doing a theater festival, a Shakespearean festival in Stratford of Ontario. And we're going to follow 
his train of thought basically and how he managed to come up with this idea and then what he did to actually implement it because it's a pretty crazy story i'm excited a lot of this is taken from his biography so i don't know how much of it's true necessarily (laughs) i like crazy but this is how he remembers it one other thing about the heritage with it though is while I was watching it, I just wanted to play, like, how many strings of pearls and horn rim glasses can you see? There's a lot. Just, like, going through, everyone is cost, like, everyone's costume is the exact same. Every yeah. woman has a string of pearls and horn rim glasses to remind you that it was the 50s. Yes, precisely. And then they cut to the present, because that's an old one. It's like, it's still a festival that lives on. And there's someone smoking in the audience. Like, yeah. that's not the present. <laughs> that's not now. That's solid 30 years ago. It's just someone smoking, <laughs> watching a Shakespearean festival. <laughs> Ladea, did you hear the news? What news? We have been nominated for a Canadian podcasting award. No way. And it's in the Outstanding Adult Podcast category, alongside some other amazing love and sex podcasts. Well, I mean, that makes sense. We are the sexiest history podcast Canada has ever seen or heard. I completely agree. If you are in the podcasting industry, head over to canpodawards.ca slash award to vote for Minute Women. With your help, we can officially become Canada's sexiest history podcast. So should we just hop into it? Yeah, let's do it. Let's hop right in. Stratford is a city on the Avon River in Perth County in southwestern Ontario, Canada. The area was settled in 1832 and the town and river were named for Stratford-upon-Avon, England, the birthplace of famous English playwright William Shakespeare. Oh, so it's a play town. Have you really? I have, yeah. That's I've been to cool. Stratford upon Avon. It was very nice. We went through Shakespeare's home. Oh. And there were actors and players in the garden doing monologues and vignettes. That's it was so nice. Cute. It and then we also went to his wife's name was Anne Hathaway. I know, yeah. I was gonna say did so you go to, to Anne me. did you go to Anne Hathaway's house? I did. We went to Anne Hathaway's cottage and it was a lot nicer in my opinion. She's a lady. Was a lady. She's a lady. She's dead now, but. (laughs) Not current actress Anne Hathaway. Yes, she's uh, alive as far as I know. As far as I'm aware, alive and thriving. Yeah. She's fun. I think I'd hang out with Anne Hathaway. Yeah. She, one of my favorite things she's ever done is she was in an episode of Modern Love, which is an Amazon Prime kind of like little vignettes on um the modern love the modern love column in the new york times oh which is like a true story love column and she does one and and they're not always happy like it's just about love so it can be like you know relationship obviously heartbreak like love between a mother and daughter like it's just it's just about love in general but she plays a woman with bipolar disorder and how they do it in the little in the little episode is that when she's up she's like singing and it's like broadway musical and she's like in the middle of the grocery store doing this like broadway number with oranges and it's fantastic and then when she's low is when it's like normal like acting and like kind of and it's very she's so phenomenal in it like she is so fantastic 
um like and that. it's 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 yeah it's one of the moments where i was like yeah she's like she's a damn good actress like i mean she did lay miz and everything and like won an oscar but um i mean princess and devil wears prada and princess diaries <laughs> fantastic <laughs> But uh, she was really good in this. Yeah, I like her. But not that Anne Hathaway. Shakespeare's Anne Hathaway. Shakespeare's Anne Hathaway, who was not in any TV shows. Very much not modern love. Yeah. Old, dusty, crusty love. Old-timey love. So the town of Stratford in Ontario is nicknamed the Little Thames and became the market center for the Eastern Huron Track. So that's how it initially gets founded. Okay. By 1834, a tavern, sawmill, and gristmill had opened. Just a bustling economic center. Just bustling. <laughs> it's like, I won't move to a town unless there's a gristmill there. <laughs> <laughs> and then by 1835, you'll never guess. What? They had Tell a me. post office. Oh, shut your face. <laughs> Just the sprawling city. Everyone's moving Beautiful. to Stratford. <laughs> You know, they've got a I'm, post office. I would love if someone made sort of 1950s, 1960s style vintage travel brochures for towns in Canada during the like early 1800s. Yeah. <laughs> what will bring you to this beautiful place? A sawmill. Finest sawmill this side of the St. Lawrence. A post office. Mail your postcards here. <laughs> The Smith's Canadian Gazetteer, just the leading journalistic magazine in Canada, of 1846, describes Stratford as follows. Stratford contains about 200 inhabitants. Post office, post three times a week. Professions and trades, two physicians and surgeons. One grist and sawmill, <laughs> one tannery, three two stores, physicians. one brewery, two physicians. A brewery? We have we have it all, Linnea. They also have a distillery. Oh my god. Take me there. <laughs> Post office, booze, and doctors. I'm in. What's an ashery? <laughs> I have no clue. Is it like a crematorium? I'm worried that that's what it is. Oh, okay. But I don't know. I'm worried. <laughs> they also have so in addition to a brewery and one distillery, they have two taverns. Oh my god. There are two blacksmiths two saddlers to be fair this sounds like a place that that your brother aiden would thrive like he is a blacksmith in fortress of lewisburg like i've seen him consume alcohol like he, he could mail you letters this is the place for aiden i love that it's not like wow he could drink a lot it's just i've seen him drink <laughs> before <laughs> they also had three shoemakers and two tailors so whoa 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 let me tell you. This is a hot spot. This is a hot spot in 1940 or 1846. I want to go. Let's take a field trip. Let's go. And time travel, I guess. Yeah, and our time machine, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> the history of Stratford was forever changed in the 1850s when the railway arrived to the town. Because so everybody wanted trains. to be there. Because they've got a post everybody office wanted and to be physicians and, and breweries and <laughs> distilleries. Stratford businessmen lobbied for the forming in 1853 of the County of Perth with Stratford as the county seat and the county at once voted bonuses to railway companies. So the way that they're going to grow the town is by giving economic benefits to railway companies that bring stations and lines and trains to Stratford. Okay. 
Stratford became the intersection point of three railways, which successively became bankrupt, which then merged with the CNR. All right. Well, they tried. Like we've got all these businesses, and they're all bankrupt. (laughs) They tried. For 80 years, railways were the principal employer in divisional offices and motive power shops for repair of steam engines. Okay. So everyone and their dog in the town of Stratford is employed by something having to do with railways. Hmm. The town was a booming industrial center. Railway meant that it was the perfect place for factories, easy to import materials, and easy to export the goods. Most significantly was the formation of furniture companies. Mm-hmm. Why? I don't know. We'll never know. They have a whole company just out there making ottomans for people. That's nice. And that's the foundation of the town of Stratford. The life of luxury <laughs> out the there. The life of luxury. <laughs> However, it was not to last. The era of steam-powered engines was coming to an end with the invention of diesel. This invention meant the Stratford Junction was no longer vital. The economic decline led to the 1933 Stratford General Strike. After the Great Depression, workers' wages were below subsistence level, and they went on strike demanding that their wages be reviewed. The recently formed Workers' Unity League organized unionization and the strike at the various companies, as it had done in Toronto. So they're like, Toronto did it. Like, let's do it. Let's have a strike. Let's get what we think we're owed, or? Yeah, and then there's also this organization that moves from town to town, and they set up chapters. Yeah. And so they had that chapter, their chapter in Toronto had just had a strike. So they're like, boy, if we can do it once, we can do it again. Right. In Stratford this time. This time. The individual strikes began on September 15th with strikes in the six of the seven local furniture making factories. <laughs> Just walking out, walking out mid recliner. <laughs> Just hurling chairs out the window. Yeah. Half a sectional, they're done. <laughs> It's an L-shaped couch, a lowercase L. (laughs) Just a lowercase L. (laughs) And then it's spread in subsequent days to mainly women, but also uh, men at Swift's meatpacking plant. Oh. So you've got a poultry company and furniture makers, and they have united forces to strike. And I love that the women are like, okay, let's just hold down the fort, ladies, again, like we do. Let the men go. I like the idea of it's like a poultry factory. So it's just like it's like you can't without without the furniture company taking all the the feathers from yeah. the chickens. How is this company supposed to stay open? We've got a strike, too. Yeah, 100 percent. Initially, the conflict was verbal with employers denouncing the WUL as a communist conspiracy. Oh, excellent. And then they're offering basically to look over like loyal workers who did not strike. Like they will give you perks if you are a scab basically and cross the picket line. And then they just threatened to close the factory altogether. Yeah. This became a physical conflict when striking furniture workers tried to prevent employers from taking unfinished items, radio ca- uh, radio cabinets specifically, out of the factory to and have the them be worked coach. on elsewhere. Yeah, the lower <laughs> the lowercase L couch. They were like, you yeah. can't take that. <laughs> so things got physical. So they start throwing punches, or yeah. So oh. this worsened 
into mass looting and an all-day siege of local and provincial (laughs) police at the swift strike a siege a siege oh my god when the chicken pluckers had walked no, out, shut up, shut up. That's 400 not real. ducks and 11,000 live chickens were left behind in the factory. That's not a real title. <laughs> a chicken plucker? A chicken plucker. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Which the local humane society then temporarily seized in order to feed all of the ducks and chickens. There was a humane society in the 1800s? It, this is 1933, but oh, still, right. yeah. Oh, this is 33. Yeah, that's good. Good for <laughs> those chickens Animals didn't have rights ducks. until like 2002. Right? The strikers and their supporters smashed rail cars and trucks oh, that were transporting butter and released the chickens. Greasy. Greasy. <laughs> butter everywhere. Butter everywhere. And then they just released the chickens. And then they're just all slipping around on all this butter and the chickens are just like balking about. (laughs) Whereupon onlookers rushed in and ate them. Oh. Like they're like rushing in to take a chicken so they can take it home and eat it. That's disgusting. (laughs) Eggs and butter were highly priced items at the time as a result of World War I at 20 cents for a dozen uh, eggs and 35 cents for a pound of butter. And they've just got butter everywhere right now, is what I'm imagining. I don't know if that's true, but I'm imagining them literally slipping and sliding around outside on just vats of butter. It's just, you think, like, when you're going to raid a train car, it's going to be, like, drugs or guns. Nope, like, butter. Nope. We're talking butter and live chickens. Yep. In response to the incident, the mayor of Stratford requested the support of the Canadian military and soldiers arrived by train along with machine gun carriers. Oh. At the height, there were more than 2,000 workers out on strike, including sympathy strikes, and the strikers' response to the calling in of the military was to organize a large rally and parade. A parade. I'm imagining floats as well. I swear this eventually leads to how the the theater festival i begins. believe you this sounds this sounds like community theater already it sounds like a flash mob in the making that would be great what if they made a play about this <gasps> oh that's cool do that. this could be another broadway musical a canadian broadway musical absolutely yeah chickens poultry butter butter <laughs> yeah the machine gun carriers from card and lloyd were never employed in the end The strike ended peacefully in November of the same year with one of its local leaders, Oliver Kerr, actually being elected as mayor of Stratford in the following year. Oh, good. It was to be the last time the Canadian military was called in to help with a strike. The strikers, the chicken pluckers, having been paid (laughs) two cents per bird before the strike, were given a 10% pay raise. Wow. And their work weeks were between 44 and 50 hours a week. So depending on what factory you worked in. Okay. You're now working something resembling a normal work week. Yeah. Rather than probably like 60 hours a week. Yeah. Which is crazy. The strike was one of several factors, including the rumors of the onset of what was going to become World War II and the end of the steam railway era causing a decline in the town's fortunes that caused a sense of gloom to be cast over Stratford for the next couple of decades. Into this declining economic state emerged Thomas Patterson. Okay, Tommy, what you got? So Harry Thomas Patterson, but we will call him Tom because... 
That is what he would go by. Was born on June 11th, 1920, and he was the fourth child of Harry Murray Patterson and Lucinda White Patterson. Okay. Historically, Tom's family had arrived in Stratford some 100 years earlier to work in the Grand Trunk Steam Engine Repair Shop. So, they are also railway people. All right. His own father owned the Patterson Bookstore, which remained under that name until 1960. Very cool. According to Tom, his father was not much of a reader, but a great salesman. Okay. He would get his wife to read the books and then tell him the storylines so he could sell the books to customers. Smart. Though, as Tom noted, this bookstore had little effect on him and certainly did not influence his future ventures. Okay. As a teen, Tom recognized how the Great Depression was influencing his hometown. He remembered the unemployed would go from town to town using the local jail as their hotel. Oh. He remembered his mother providing the poor with free meals out of their kitchen. And then their house eventually gained a reputation among vagrants as one where people could go for a hot meal. So in the network of, like, vagrants, they will tell each other, like, good houses and bad houses to stop at. Yeah. And their house is a good house. They're a good house. They're helpful. It was his brushes with these men that led Tom to his passion for journalism. He would go into the jails and interview these men and get their stories. And even at this young age, Tom and his friends would think up ways of trying to save their hometown. Aww. He's a little, he's a little homegrown hero. One idea from one of his friends was to build an indoor hockey rink that would function all year round. Brilliant. That is the most Canadian thing ever. Yeah. Like, how are we going to save this town? A hockey rink. For all year. All year round. Which we have now. So good idea, kid. Uh, Tom was opposed to this idea because he didn't like having cold feet. Okay. In his autobiography, he was just like, I, my feet would get cold. And that's why I don't like hockey rinks. Fair enough. So Tom's idea was to create, and this is like, this is decades before it actually happens. His idea at this young age was to create a Shakespearean festival to honor the town name. Okay. He envisioned an outdoor festival, but ultimately knew absolutely nothing about running a theater festival. Okay. Okay. Because he's 15. Yeah. Hey, but he's got a dad who it seemed like had no business running a bookstore and here we are you're right he just had the best role model for that yeah yeah all of these dreams would have to be put on hold however because of the second world war of course they put everything on hold nobody got to have their dreams everybody pause your life yeah in 1939 tom was initially ruled out due to the fact that he had worn glasses his entire life oh to go to war yeah so he's not allowed to enlist yeah So instead, that summer, Tom worked out of a hot dog stand. Good for Tommy. Killing it. What is this? (laughs) A regular visitor to the stand was the local dentist, Dr. Bill Hamilton. At the end of the summer, Bill Hamilton was recruited to join the Canadian Dental Corps and then invited Tom to join him as his dental assistant. Even though he knows nothing about being a dentist. Because he'd been flipping hot dogs all summer? Literally, I think this dude loves this guy's hot dogs so much (laughs) that he's just like, will you come fight in a war with me so I can have hot dogs? Yeah. And Tom's like, I don't know how many hot dogs I'll be able to bring, but like, sure, man. Sure. He comes and like, 
everyone's <laughs> uniform is like a Canadian military uniform, but his uniform is like the hot dog stand with, with the like little the white hat. And the yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Tom went through the recruiting process again, and after a quick hospital stay to treat a hernia, Tom was sent off to England. Casual. I love that he goes in. He's like, "All right, I'm just here for a check." And they're like, "Oh my god." <laughs> You have a hernia. What are you doing? How did you not come sooner? And he's like, oh, sorry. Can we fix that up? Cool. (laughs) Stitch me up, Doc. Tom was sent off to England on June 11th, 1940, which was his 20th birthday. Oh, happy birthday. (laughs) Happy birthday, Tom. Tom admitted in his memoirs that he was never a great soldier in the traditional sense. But in his position, he had plenty of freedoms. So because he's not really a soldier, he can go off and do basically what officers do, I guess. Yeah. He met lots of people. He claims that while hitchhiking back from going into town for the bars, it was like a late night, he was picked up by a car that was carrying Anthony Eden and his wife. Huh. So like, I like Anthony Eden being, I believe, prime minister. Yeah. Of the, at least a British politician. Yeah. And he says that they had a great conversation. But how in the hell is Anthony Eden pulling over to pick up hitchhikers? Yeah, that doesn't really seem like... I I don't know. I don't know. Winston Churchill was a politician, and I feel like he'd pull over and uh, pick up a hitchhiker. But, I mean, he was a special... He was a special man. Yeah, he also, like, talked to ghosts. Yeah. He also loved baths. And loved baths. Loved them. (laughs) Later on, Tom was stationed in Holland, and so I believe he's there for the liberation of Holland. Oh, cool. And while he was there, he was billeted with a Jewish man who had been hidden for the entirety of the war by his non-Jewish wife. Crazy. They became close friends, and through this man, Tom joined the Gelderland Province Underground. After the war, Tom began an import and export business dealing with these same people in the Dutch Underground. Oh, wow. So he's working in the Dutch underground, and then when he comes back to Canada, he has these business associations with all the people that he met in Holland. So that's, that's what he decides he's going to do when he comes home. That's crazy. Good for him. The enterprise proved to be unsuccessful, mainly because, as Tom said, he had no business knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> and that the first shipment that they brought was broken into, and most of it was stolen. Oh, okay. Probably butter and chicken. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> But as Tom stated, quote, perhaps it was for the best. My lack of entrepreneurship allowed me more time to work on my crazy teenage dream of creating a Shakespearean festival for my hometown. So Tom returned home to Stratford after the war in the spring of 1945. His brother had been killed in Italy before Christmas and his widowed sister-in-law was now living at the family house. To pass the time, she had joined a play reading group and invited Tom to join as well. Precious. So cute. Tom, don't sleep with her. He doesn't sleep with her. Good. (laughs) Don't worry. Well, I don't know if they slept together. They don't get married. Okay, good. Among the group, his dream for a theater festival was revitalized, and they encouraged him to find funders. So they're like, that's a great idea. You should get money. Tom took his idea to Stratford Mayor David Simpson, who thought the idea was a great one, though he confessed to knowing nothing about Shakespeare. It's literally just the name, Stratford. Yeah. They're like, no one we else don't knows know anything. anything. <laughs> they're like, we know that Shakespeare wrote some plays, but uh, that's it. That's all we got. 
the foundation of a good business and a good idea is word association. And that's it. You don't need anything <laughs> that's else. That's all. That's all. The city council agreed, providing him a grant of $125 to seek artistic advice in New York. So they're like, you don't know anything about theater. We don't know anything about theater. Have $125. Go to New York. Go to Find New some York. artsy people. Yeah. And Tom had a big dream. Okay. He knew who he wanted to talk to. Okay. He wanted to talk to Lawrence Olivier. Sir oh. Lawrence Olivier. No. Who no. was in New York at the time. Oh, Tommy. Tommy, Tommy, Tommy. Big dreams, this kid. Big dreams. His goal is to go there. He's going to find Sir Lawrence of Olivier. Of convince course. the man to talk to him. And then he's going to convince him to help with the project. How did that go? Uh, totally failed. Yeah. Okay. He That's found where Lawrence Olivier was. And then he went to the hotel and they're like, he's not here anymore. He's and in a new hotel. stalked him like a stalker. Absolutely. He's a huge stalker. <laughs> I'm sure Lawrence Olivier is used to that. But so he goes to the first hotel. They're like, Lawrence Olivier is not here anymore. He goes to the next hotel and they're like, yeah, no, he doesn't want to see you. Naturally. Because duh. What did you expect, Tommy? He did, however, get a meeting with the Rockefeller Foundation. I think it oh. was just like a representative of the Rockefeller Foundation, not like an actual Rockefeller. Not not a Rockefeller, yeah. But that's Who cool. Who then agreed, they agreed that they would support the project in spirit, but not in cash. <laughs> oh, okay. They're like, that's a good idea. We don't have any money to give you though i think it was mostly because it wasn't in the united states right anyway tom came back and he very much exaggerated his success to everyone in stratford of course and soon the newspapers were writing that tom had met Lawrence olivier and he had been all in favor of the project but he was just simply too tied up in new york to come back to stratford lies which tom was totally fine with because as he stated quote People in New York do not read the Stratford Beacon. (laughs) (laughs) He's not wrong. (laughs) He's not wrong. And this kind of sentiment brought a whole lot of momentum to the project. So even though he didn't actually succeed in anything, the fact that everyone thought that Lawrence Olivier knew who they were and (laughs) cared about the project was enough for people to be like, we got to make this happen. (laughs) Yeah, we got to do it. That's funny. So back in Canada, Tom contacted Canada's premier actress and director, Dora Mare Moore. No idea. I have no idea who she is either, but she was apparently Canada's like best stage actress at the time. And she was very enthusiastic and she offered to support uh, Tom. And so she recommended as director, Sir Tyrone Guthrie. Okay. She's like, there's only one man who should be the artistic director That's of this. That's a name. He sounds like a famous director. Tyrone Guthrie. Sir Tyrone Guthrie. He and sounds he was like he, that sounds like a mix between a rapper and a country singer. <laughs> <laughs> Tyrone. <laughs> yeah. Tyrone <laughs> Guthrie. Guthrie. <laughs> I kept thinking of him for some reason like it's it's not a Game of Thrones name. Oh, but it could be. But it could be. Sir and then Tyrone made... of Guthrie. Yeah, so once I had it in my head that it was a Game of Thrones name, he immediately became like Peter Dinklage in my visuals. Oh. And so now I can only picture Sir Tyrone Guthrie as Peter Dinklage. That's actually hilarious. <laughs> 
He's also the guy in the Heritage Minute who has that pencil-thin mustache. Yeah. Yeah. That very much looks drawn on in the Heritage Minute. Oh, it... It looks like two black lines. It is definitely drawn on. (laughs) So after some arrangements, the two phoned Guthrie. So Tom and Dora, they are now phoning Guthrie, who is currently in Ireland. Oh, On the third attempt, Guthrie's caretaker answered the phone, and Guthrie recalled her answering the phone and simply saying, nonsense, and hanging up. (laughs) Oh my goodness. (laughs) What a sassy housekeeper. She's like, no. It's like, hi, this is the CRA. Nonsense. Hang up. (laughs) When Tom called again, she passed the phone over saying it was the same joker on the line. So she thinks it's like a prank. She thinks it's funny. That's not cool. But Tom finally had Guthrie on the phone, and Tom said in a small voice, This is Tom Patterson. Will you come to Canada and give advice? We want to start a Shakespearean festival in Stratford, Ontario. We, we will pay your expenses and a small fee. And what did, uh, what did Mr. Guthrie say? Guthrie said, When do you want me to come? That's better than nonsense. And Tom said, At once. Tomorrow if you can. He's in Europe. Guthrie, who had some time at his disposal, thought it would be fun to return to Canada. So years earlier, Guthrie had assisted in the formation of some radio dramas for the CBC. Oh, very cool. And so it's not really the work or the idea of the Stratford Festival that's of interest to him, so much as being able to go back to Canada and follow up on those projects. So Guthrie worked with the CBC and we were in an article by the CBC. So basically we're the same. So, long story short, we are Peter Dinklage. Yeah, yes. (laughs) He agreed, much to the surprise of Tom. When the two met in the airport, they were so excited and caught up in the project that Guthrie left his luggage at the airport and they had to turn around and go get it. Aw, he's so excited. (laughs) It's so cute and also totally the 50s of like the idea that you could just like turn around and like, it was like, oh, I I left a bomb, I mean bag uh, at the airport. (laughs) Gotta go get it. I gotta go get it. So the only thing left to do now, so that they they have their executive director, that's Tom. They have their creative director, that's Guthrie. Yeah. The only thing they need now is a leading man. They need someone. Obi-Wan Kenobi. (laughs) So, of course, he wants Lawrence of Olivier, but they knew he was out. Of course. (laughs) They knew he was not available. So Guthrie suggested the famous Alec Guinness, a.k.a. Obi-Wan Kenobi. Had he already been? Yeah, he had already been in Star Wars by this point. No, no, no. This is like. No, wait, 50s. what year is this? It's like oh, 1950 something. He wasn't yeah. in Star Wars until the 70s. Yeah. <laughs> so he's okay. like a younger actor at this time. Okay. Guthrie was very close with Guinness. Uh, Guthrie was the godfather of Guinness's son. Oh, And so, yeah, they're very close friends. But even if he was available, the question was, could they afford Alec Guinness? Likely no, because he's a huge stage actor at this time. Probably no. So Guthrie and Tom flew to London to meet Guinness. That's so cool. Tom met the actor for the first time backstage at the performance of Under the Sycamore Tree, which he was starring in at the time. Tom remembers that Guinness was very charming and offered Tom a drink while he did his makeup backstage. Oh. I just imagine Alec Guinness doing his own makeup. <laughs> Alex Guinness is just patting his cheeks, throwing yeah. on some lipstick for to pop on stage. So Tom is like 
going into his whole spiel of like why he should come to Stratford and do all this. And in the middle of it, Guinness answers a call from his agent. And it's his agent telling him that there's this huge Hollywood film that he should go for. Are you serious? It's not Star Wars, but oh, yes, okay. <laughs> he is telling him about this film. And at this point, Tom was like, oh, no, he's going to get into film. Like, he's not going to he's not going to be able to, like, do our festival. But luckily for Tom, Alec disgustingly turned it down on the spot. He was like, absolutely not. And like hung up. Film. <laughs> and at that point, he turns to Tom and he's like, I will consider your proposal. So they arranged to meet the next day, and during their second meeting, Guinness agreed to participate. That's so cool. Yeah. Go with Tom. His, Tom is killing it. With his it. famous grin, he said, yes, I will come to Aww. Tom. He does have a good grin. And so the what they do is, like, he knows that he's not going to be able to pay him a lot. Right. So Tom says, like, in an instant, Guinness changed his life forever and he changed the history of the town of Stratford forever like this moment is like Tom knows like this is a big moment yeah like, this could yeah. really change things but he's like now we have to talk about pay uh -oh. and he knows that they're not going to be able to pay Guinness's rates um, but Guinness agreed to take a substantial pay cut from what he would be making on London's West End on the agreement that his family was able to come and spend the summer with him Oh, that's so nice yeah he's so a good he, guy he agreed to making only $3,500 for three months he's such a good guy I know and he also had the clause written in that he had to be paid at least $100 more than anyone else in the company okay fair which is probably something that he has to do for contracting stuff yeah he, it's great because in the in the autobiography tom writes it it's like guinness like looked up at me awkwardly and was like and i need to get paid a hundred dollars more you understand <laughs> you understand just pay me yeah. the money in a weird twist guthrie almost spoils the whole thing how so the two had a huge fight over hamlet being included in the playbill for some reason wait so I guthrie think... and tommy or guthrie and obi-wan and guinness okay. and alec guinness yeah <laughs> So I think what had happened in the past was Alec Guinness was in a production of Hamlet that went really poorly. Okay. And so Guthrie wants to do Hamlet, but Guinness is like, I'll never do Hamlet sort of thing. Yeah. To be or not to be? No. Absolutely not. So, but Tom is like, saves it and Guinness is in. They also managed to get a leading lady for the company. Her name is oh. Irene Worth, uh, oh. which was another connection made by Guthrie. She was a famous i believe an american stage actress cool. but she was very famous as well so the stratford shakespearean festival debuted in 1953 with an initial playbill of two plays the first was richard iii so this historic play was probably written between 1592 and 1594 it is the second longest play shakespeare ever wrote and depicts the machiavellian rise to power and subsequent short reign of richard iii of england I was gonna say it's one I never read I read a lot of Shakespeare in high school but oh really um yeah we did a lot in in our IB program we read a lot of Shakespeare um yeah. but never Richard the third I think Richard the third might be my favorite really it's, it's the there's a really good film adaptation of it that has I think it stars Ian McKellen as oh, okay. Richard the third it's a good one it always throws me off because the guy who plays McNulty in The Wire yeah he plays Henry Tudor in it, oh, but he's so actually funny. British. 
Oh. Like, that guy is actually British. Oh, that's funny. So it's so funny to see him without a Baltimore accent. <laughs> that's how I feel about Hugh Laurie. Because you watch yeah. Hugh Laurie in House, and then you hear Hugh Laurie speak. Yeah. And you're like, oh, weird. Like, I couldn't picture him. Like, he just wouldn't be Dr. House with a British accent. Yeah. So the second play that's on the playbill is one I had never heard of, and I would like to run through the plot with you quickly because I think it's hilarious. Okay, what is it? So it's called All's Well That Ends Well. Is that – that's a comedy. It is a comedy. Yeah, yeah. So I have not read it, but I know about it because it was – Shakespeare didn't write many comedies, and it was one of his comedies. Yes. So tell me about so, it. It was probably written between 1598 and 1608. Okay. Uh, it, unlike Richard III, is a comedy. Yeah. So it is about Helena, a low-born ward of a French-Spanish countess, and she is in love with the countess's son, Bertram. Her brother? So it's not her brother. So she's the low-born ward. So I think oh. her, she's just kind of like part of their court. Okay. But very low in the court. Low, low, low. And Bertram is totally indifferent to Helena. Okay. Bertram goes to Paris, and Helena, who is the daughter of a doctor, follows Bertram. Does he know she's following, or is it like stalker? No, this is very stalker. She goes to follow Bertram, but what she tells everyone is the reason that she goes is to offer the king of France her services as a healer, because her father is a doctor. Oh, yes. Okay, okay. The king is very skeptical. And she guarantees the cure with her life. So if the king dies, she will be put to death. But if he lives, she may choose a husband from the court. It sounds hilarious. This is what I love about Shakespeare. It sounds so funny. I just like it. It's like they'll present this and then the king goes, hmm, sounds reasonable. Yeah. It's like one of us will die. <laughs> that makes sense. That's good with me. So the king is cured and Helena chooses Bertram as her husband. Like that's the person she chooses from the court. Okay. But Bertram rejects her. Naturally. She However, the king the king forces him to marry her. That sounds unkind. <laughs> but then Bertram immediately goes off to war in Italy without so much as a goodbye kiss to Helena. What a jerk. He says that he will only marry her after she has carried his child and wears his family ring. So basically saying, like, I'll never put that ring on your finger and I'll never have sex with you. So Nice. So Helena returns home to the countess, who is horrified with her son, Bertram. She's like, I can't believe it. My son's an asshole. Yeah, okay, good. Thanks, mom-in-law. And so back home, she claims Helena as her child in Bertram's place. Aww. Back in Italy, Bertram is a successful warrior, and he's also a successful seducer of local virgins. Oh, lovely. As one does. Helena follows him to Italy. And befriends a woman named Diana, who is a virgin that Bertram is completely infatuated with. Okay. And she's like, yo, I'm going to marry him. And so they become friends. And Diana's like, don't worry, girl, I got you. So they arrange for Helena to take Diana's place in bed. They pull a little Twelfth Night action. Yeah, they do a whole switcheroo. This is Shakespeare's thing. And then Diana obtains Bertram's ring. So I think he, like, proposes to Diana. She gets the ring from Bertram in exchange for one of Helena's. So okay. then she goes and gives it to Helena. 
And in this way, with uh, Helena, without Bertram's knowledge, has consummated their marriage and is wearing his ring. Okay. Helena then fakes her own death. I don't know why there's always death fakery in Shakespeare. Okay. There's a lot in Shakespeare that's questionable. Just let it go. (laughs) So then Bertram, thinking that she's dead, is now free to come home. She's like, he's like, my mom is not going to disown me anymore. Yeah. Because now I'm a widow. Right. widower so he shows up he tries to marry a local lord's daughter but then diana shows up and breaks up the engagement he's just she's like he had sex with me yeah but he didn't <laughs> and then helena appears and explains the ring swap announcing that she has fulfilled bertram's challenge and then bertram who's impressed by all she has done to win him swears his love to her wow i'm and just in stitches over here The Shakespeare comedy is just fantastic. I'm dumbfounded. Oh, man. So on one hand, you have that. So this is the play they're going to do. They have that and they have Richard III, arguably one of his greatest plays of all time. Imagine if you go and you're like, I'm going to see Alec Guinness as Richard III. And they're like, oh, we're all sold out of that play, actually. Do you want to go see the other one? And they're like, I guess so. And then you're like, what the fuck was that? What was that? Oh, Shakespeare. What a guy. So the first performances, like the entire first four seasons, took place in a concrete amphitheater covered by a giant canvas tent on the banks of the River Avon. Okay. So that's the other thing. It's not like an actual theater it's just an amphitheater that they put that canvas over that's why it's leaking (laughs) that's why there's so many drips the six-week run was an incredible success and the festival grew in the years that followed theater became tom's life tom served as the theater's general manager during the first season and worked in other capacities until 1967 okay he also founded the touring company Canadian Players with actor Douglas Campbell and took part in the establishment of a number of cultural institutions, including the Canadian Theatre Centre and the Canadian Theatre School, or National Theatre School. Tom was also the founder of the Dawson City Gold Rush Festival, so I think that's a very similar... I'm sure Dawson just reached out to him and was like, can you do for Stratford, for us what you did for Stratford, Stratford. (laughs) please? (laughs) Tom was made an officer of the Order of Canada in 1967. Really? Yeah, and also was awarded the Order of Ontario. That's very cool. He received honorary degrees from the University of Toronto and the University of Western Ontario. One of the festival theaters has been named after him since 1991, as is one of the islands in the Avon River. People so love the Patterson this man. Theater and the Patterson Island. People like him. The festival quickly outgrew its one theater in years to come. Fundraising to build a permanent theater was slow, but was helped significantly by donations from Governor General Vincent Macy and the Perth Mutual Insurance Company. The new festival theater was dedicated on the 30th of June, 1957, with seating for over 1,800 people. No seats are more than 65 feet from the stage. The design was deliberately intended to resemble a huge tent, and the season's productions included Hamlet, Twelfth Night, the satirical My Fur Lady, uh, The Turn of the Screw, and Ibsen's Pier Gint, or Pier Gint. The Turn of the, of the Screw? Like the Taming the of, the of the Shrew? Screw. Like, is it supposed to be funny? I'm not sure. 
I don't know. Because it very quickly grows from just being Shakespearean plays to any kind of play. Okay. Like, they still always feature some sort of Shakespearean play. Yeah. But then you have, like, yeah, all these other ones now. Very cool. Many famous actors have starred in plays at the Stratford Festival, including Maggie Smith. Oh! Christopher Plummer and Christopher Walken. Whoa! There's a huge list of people who have been, like, the featured I had no idea Maggie Smith did plays. I know. I figured she was just a screen actress. That's so cool. From 1956 to 1961 and 1971 to 1976, the Stratford Festival also staged the separate Stratford Film Festival, which was credited as one of the first North American film festivals ever to schedule international films. That festival collapsed after the 1976 launch of the Festival of Festivals, now known as, I must, that must be a typo. It must be the Festival of Films. The Festival of Festivals. (laughs) Whatever. It's the Festival of Festivals. (laughs) The Festival of the Festival. It's Which is now now? known as uh, the Toronto International Film Festival. Oh, TIFF. I was going to ask you if, if this was correlated with TIFF at all. That's so cool. Yeah. So the Stratford Theater festival is the origin story of tiff that's so cool the festival runs from april to october and now has four permanent venues the festival theater the avon theater the tom patterson and the studio theater although the festival's primary mandate is to produce the works of shakespeare its season playbills include a variety of classical and contemporary works and at least one musical oh absolutely hell yes (laughs) i'm here for the musicals The festival went into somewhat of a decline, but then it came under the artistic directorship of Antony Cimolino. Cimolino? Cimolino? Cimolino. That guy. (laughs) And the executive directorship of Anita Gaffney, and they've kind of revitalized the festival. Very cool. Which is nice. The Stratford Festival Forum runs during the seasons and uh, features music concerts, readings from major authors, lectures, and discussions with actors and management. And that is the history of the Stratford Festival. One I did not expect to like, but I wound up liking a lot. This is way cooler than the Heritage Minute. Absolutely. Yeah, like this was much more interesting than the Heritage Minute. This gives me a new appreciation for that minute. To go from butter and chicken to Alec Guinness is, is quite a story. Yeah. That's very cool. And if, and like I'm still like I'm a I'm a big Harry Potter fan, Downton Abbey fan, big Maggie Smith fan. And so to know that she was like there like acting, I think that's super cool. Like you don't think of Canada, I don't think of Canada as like a hot spot for like film actors and actresses, but then to like see that they're doing like live stage productions and it's like a pretty big stage i mean i know the toronto international film festival is a huge film festival that's a kind of a prime example of actors and actresses you know succeeding um on a canadian platform but uh that's so cool i loved this one yeah i like the idea that he really just had an idea he had no money he had no reputation he had no idea what he was doing he didn't even have a theater no they had an amphitheater he was a kid outside he was a kid and he's like let's do it yeah, and it's just like... Just a boy with a hot dog stand and a dream. What if I lie and say that Sir Lords of Olivier really loves the idea? It turns out that's enough for most people. 
I'm going to tell people, I'm going to be like, hey, so Andre Bocelli really wants there to be an amphitheater in Lunenburg. <laughs> <laughs> I was chatting with him. Yeah, you know, I just bumped into Peter Dinklage and, and he thinks <laughs> it'd be a great idea if we started a Shakespearean festival. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but if Peter Dinklage said it. Yeah, oh, the so Peter funny. Dinklage <laughs> Shakespearean festival. <laughs> Speaking of the accents, he's always one that surprises me because he's American and because of Game of Thrones, I always think he's British. Yeah. What a great show. What a great show. I've been Ugh. thinking about it a lot because it's the 10 year anniversary. I was thinking about it a lot too because I because yeah, there's been articles about the 10 year anniversary, but also who the actors originally auditioned for. Oh, really? Um, Like Ramsey auditioned for Jon Snow. And, like, didn't get it. And so then they brought him back as Ramsey because they liked him. And, like, oh. it, like all the people who auditioned for Daenerys Targaryen and didn't get it. The pilot was filmed with, like, four different actors in, like, main roles. Oh, like, different. Oh, okay. I see. I see. Yeah. So they, yeah. like, filmed the pilot with four different actors. And then we're like, they all suck. Like, let's do it again. Yeah. Amelia Clark was not in the pilot. No. She wasn't in the pilot. And... Jason Momoa wasn't in the pilot, and Ned Stark, the guy who plays Ned Stark, he wasn't in the pilot. Sean Bean. Yeah, I know. He's so good. That was also so the good. the real start of television being allowed to kill off main characters. Yeah. And, like, everyone just having to deal with it. Yeah, and definitely in, like, a public way. Yeah. Like, I, I do think of, like, I think HBO probably was doing it. Yeah. Like, I think of, like, The Wire, because we talked about that earlier. Yeah. They would kill off people. But that was also, like, a gritty show. It and it was a niche. fantasy show. It was a more niche market. Like, you think you yeah. pull up, And you pull up an actor like Sean Bean, and then you just kill him off in the first couple episodes. It's like... That's that's what it was. Like, so I knew it was coming, because I read the book. Oh, okay. But... See, I didn't read the book. It's just that, like, that guttural shock of, like, what the fuck? It was like, you just cut off Sean Bean's head. Like, there's no coming back from that. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, what what's the show going to be about? Yeah. We've been following this person's narrative the whole time, and he's yeah. the only one that knows this huge secret. Yeah. And you've killed him. Yeah. Such a good show. Such a good show. I know the latter seasons are not great, but yeah. man, it was a brilliant show. Game of Thrones also spawned the, like, everyone thinks I look like Maisie Williams, which I don't see particularly other than i have big eyebrows and a similar haircut uh i would say that you also have like a similar like skin tone like you're both kind of pasty we're both white yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it is the it's the like the the most common like celebrity look alike i'll get not it's that a, i get it it's a good person day, to be compared to she was cool i liked aria a lot yeah the character she's cool um on that note Thank you for this episode. This was a fun one. I love this. I'm glad you liked it. And where this one took us. This was really fun. I'm glad you liked it. I I had fun researching it. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of the Minute Women podcast. We are so excited to have extra content for you now. We have the Have You Got a Minute. So please let us know how you felt about the first How You Got a Minute. And uh, look forward to more in the future. 
to follow us on our social media channels, you can find us on Instagram at Facebook at Minute Women Podcast. And you can find us on Twitter at The Minute Women. You can also find all of our merch in the link on our Instagram, but it's on TeePublic. And then you can just search Minute Women there. We also have a website, which is www.minutewomenpodcast.ca. And make sure you subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you listen to us on. We drop new episodes every Wednesday. So every other week we will be doing Have You Got a Minute? And then every other week from that, you will get a normal Minute Women episode. Uh, Make sure you rate and review the podcast if that is an option on your platform. Download the episodes and tell your friends. Word of mouth is the best review. And let us know what minutes you want us to cover. If there's anything you want uh, us to talk about in a Have You Got a Minute? let us know that as well yeah we always love that stuff so let us know shoot us a message you're dead to me justin mcelroy loser that's my new outro i'm gonna do it every week i love it answers me anyways bye everyone bye, bye.